sometimes people are really leery, at least in the Catholic Church, about talk of ecumenism just because there's been there's been bad instances, sure. there's been inauthentic instances of it. But you know, true ecumenism is based on a common devotion to Jesus Christ. And on, I think, again, what you're getting at there, Kenny, this this sense of obligation that we haven't the right to act as if this doesn't matter. You know, it's like, it's like again, like saying, like a husband recognizing, I don't have the right to just sort of like, you know, muddle through life and, and remain divided with my wife. I haven't been talking to my wife for a few weeks and I know that we're angry at each other. I don't have the right to sit back and say, well, she's not going to get mm-hmm. along. I'm not going to get along. <laughs> right. I haven't the right. Hello and welcome back to Deep in Christ. I'm your host, John Mark Grodi, here at the Coming Home Network International. And once again, we have this opportunity uh, to discuss this, our daily task of imitation of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm joined again by my friend and colleague, Kenny Burchard, Director of Development here at the Coming Home Network International. And we're continuing our discussion today on Christian unity, but specifically, we're working into this discussion on Christian unity as a, as a practical endeavor. You know, this is something we see that we don't have the unity for which Christ prayed in the church, um, and we pray for that, but we also recognize that it comes, that the the line between unity and disunity runs down the human heart, to uh, paraphrase an old uh, an old maxim. <laughs> but we'll get into that in a moment. But Kenny, how are you doing today? Thanks for, thanks for joining me again for this, brother. I'm so uh, glad to be here, John Mark. I'm doing very, very well, and uh, looking forward to this ongoing discussion that we're having about Christian unities is a really important thing. And of course, now having become a convert to the faith, this has become much more important in my own heart than I ever imagined it would, would be. So this is this is great. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's great. It's really important to our work here because I think one of the core values of the Coming Home Network, you know, we're here to share the truth and beauty of the Catholic Church with others, help people come home. But keeping the like the right context, the right understanding of unity and our relationship to our separated brothers and sisters uh, is really important to us. You know, seeing that rightly, uh, neither <laughs> triumphalistically, right. you know, nor syncretistically, but right in the middle. You know, holding both the truth, but also the reality of the the nature of the unity of the church, the wounds, the sources of those wounds. We're going to talk about today a little bit. Yes. So it's an important topic, but we'll, we'll we'll dig into it in a moment. I just want to recap briefly. Like last week, we kicked off this topic starting with Christ's prayer for unity there in the gospel. Um, and one thing that you know that really jumped out at me last week, and it's been ringing in my mind as we've been thinking about these discussions, is just this question of: um, Do I desire and pray for unity the way that Christ does? That's really that really is going to characterize our discussion going forward. This that we we certainly value unity because Christ did and because he prayed for it and we recognize that it's it's a it's part of our life as Christians is to to be to be in unity and it's it's unfortunate when we don't have it you know we see the rifts in the church but the reality is, is like it comes down to uh me and you whether we are imitating Christ in his desire and prayer for unity putting putting that putting the body you know over over myself putting the father's will over my will yeah, and I think that comment or that sort of that ending idea of God's will versus 
my will. And this whole theme of unity, it reminds me of, um, of, uh, Romano, uh, Guardini's great book on the Lord's Prayer in which he says, um, you know, thy will be done. Why do we pray that? Well, because that's the thing that's in danger of not happening. So we need to pray for that. Well, the same thing with this unity prayer of Jesus. Why is Jesus praying for our unity? What, 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 what's all this in the prayer of Jesus? Well, that's the thing that's in danger. That's the thing that can become harmed, you know, uh, and and really, as we see in history, has become harmed. Yeah, very good. Well, we're, let's um, we're going to do two things today. We're going to continue working through a few sections in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, rounding out what the Church says about unity, and what it says about the wounds to unity. Because again, we want to keep the proper context here when we're talking about unity. We want to get real clear about what we're talking about, what those wounds are, what the sources are. And then move into this discussion that we'll, we'll have in the coming weeks about the, the actual practicalities of virtue, of um, you know what, how do I imitate Christ practically? How do I become like Christ? How do I begin to think like Christ, choose like Christ, transform my habits, you know, by God's grace, to be like Christ, such that I'm not just kind of like hoping for unity, but that I that I am building up the body of Christ through my life. Yeah. And so that's kind of where we're going to work towards. Beautiful. So I'll uh, I'll start us off uh, today. We're gonna we're gonna pick up reading a little bit of the Catechism, and we're gonna start on on uh, paragraph eight seventeen, and this is under the subheading "Wounds to Unity." And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna start reading there, and, and again, there's there is a good. Well, I'll just read it, and then I'll comment on it afterwards, I suppose. So uh, this is paragraph eight seventeen. In fact, in this one and only Church of God, from its very beginnings, there arose certain rifts which the apostles strongly censures as damnable. But in subsequent centuries, much more serious dissensions appeared and large communities became separated from full communion with the Catholic Church, for which, often enough, men of both sides were to blame. The ruptures that wound the unity of Christ's body, here we must distinguish heresy, apostasy, and schism, do not occur without human sin. Where there are sins, there are also divisions, schisms, heresies, and disputes. Where there is virtue, however, there also are harmony and unity from which arise the one heart and one soul of all believers. Mm-mm-mm. So a couple key bits from that, that paragraph there, recognizing that, again, this, is, this state of disunity is not what our Lord prayed for. It's not what, what is supposed to be. Uh, and there could be eternal consequences to this, you know, when we break up the church, when we schism, when we, we tear it apart. But it also recognizes here, it begins to introduce this, this reality that, that the church has tried to wrestle with uh, rightly for the past centuries and, and even, you know, more so I think in the past hundred years, which is the reality that, that sin is the source of disunity. And, and we can't point to one group or another and say, it's your sins that caused this disunity. Not mine, right? Right, exactly, and 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 it's so true. What what the Catechism says is this is nothing new uh, in the history of the Church, and of course we see that um, really, really um, in living color. For instance, in Paul's letter to the Church at Corinth, where you know right out of the gate after he says, "Hi, it's me, Paul," <laughs> he says, you know, by the time he gets to verse ten, he's saying, "Now listen." I understand that you're fracturing. Uh, you have all these fault lines in your church, and I believe it. You know, it's kind of like I know some of you. <laughs> and what he's he's saying there is, 
it's the sin at work in, in the human heart that's causing you to divide from one another in ways that God never intended. And that's really where this all begins. Right. Yeah. And so we, we, I mean, one way that I like to think about the unity of the church is really like a, a it's a, it's a marriage, right? Where we, it's within the bond of permanency in the church that we all kind of work out our sin, that we work out our, our salvation. Um, you don't break up the marriage, you know, like that's, that really is a big deal uh, to, to leave rather than trying to work for, for reconciliation. And so too in the church, like it is a big deal when, when people have, have left the church, have broken up that unity. Um, but again, even there, we recognize the nuance that uh, there's always sin on every side. No, there's never two parties that, that, that grow apart or the rift grows that, there's there's always sin on both sides, right? Yes, yeah. yes, there is. And you know, it's so interesting, John Mark, uh, regarding that. You know, there's sin on both sides. When I was uh, quite a bit younger, I, I would say over over twenty years ago, um, apart from participating in a rift from Catholicism by just being part of <laughs> Protestantism, I experienced a fair amount of division and participating in division as a non-Catholic, you know, within the, the Protestant ranks. And I remember meeting with the a pastor in our town uh, that where we were pastoring about this division that we were experiencing. And he said, and he come, came from, come from a very deeply re- Reformed tradition, and he said, there's only two reasons to divide from a fellow, you know, from a brother in Christ. And I'm like, oh, what are they? He said, sin and false doctrine. Those are the only two reasons. And I was like, well, I can't think of anything that doesn't fit in <laughs> to those two things. So those are the reasons to divide. Oh, yes, those are the only two reasons. I'm like, what, what are the other things that people do? <laughs> you know, um, but, but, uh, but it's not the Catholic way of, of thinking about it. You know, the, the, they aren't the sin and false doctrine aren't reasons to divide. They're the reasons that we divide for which we need to seek healing and reunification and and you know it's so it's just such a different way of thinking about things but also it points to what we would say is the importance of of the sacraments of the catholic church that in catholicism we have something to do with our sin you know we have something to do with it, something concrete we can take it to confession we can be forgiven in this very explicit way we're assured of god's forgiveness so it's we have a ta- we have tangible way, things to to do with our sin yes. to do with our disunity to bring them uh, when we we break away from that we it begins to be more cloudy how do we deal with the crap right how do we deal with the crap in our exactly. hearts exactly exactly it's mo- moving toward healing not away from it not perpetuating uh, and which is really a, just a Catholic yeah. way of thinking we move toward healing and unification of God's people not away from it. Yeah, I love this quote that was in here. I think it's from from Origin, but it was at the end of that that paragraph. Yes. Where there are sins, there are also divisions, schisms, heresies, and disputes. Where there is virtue, however, there are also there also are harmony and unity from which arise the one heart and one soul of all believers. Yes. That's really that's really a description of what we're going to be talking about in this series. That um, you know, th- this disunity is a multifaceted issue, but one simple place we can draw it all back to in terms of my particular place in it is that am I praying like Christ prays for unity? 
Am I desiring it? Um, and am I becoming an imitation of Christ, a person who's growing in virtue? Because it's it's only in virtue that then Christ can work out his healing in the church. And we, we so often in all areas of our lives, we we get caught in this temptation of like worrying about the state of affairs out there and and sort of almost like deferring our own the good that we're supposed to be doing the fruit that we're supposed to be bearing like oh when the rest of the world gets its act together when the catholic church gets its act together when the protestants get their act yeah. together then then yeah <laughs> but no 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 god's calling me to be a saint right and perhaps if i were to radically surrender to christ and let him work in me let him grow virtue in me maybe I could be part of that healing, you know, but that's, I can't be waiting around. I have to be doing what Christ is calling me to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the, t the temptation there is to put it all on the other quote unquote unquote, the other side. That's why I like your image of marriage, you know, as because it's Christ's, uh, it's the new Testament image of the church is a marriage. And so we have to be, you know, <laughs> unity work is like marriage counseling, you know, it's just, it's a lot of work, yeah. you know, it's a lot of work. Well, let me read a couple more yeah. paragraphs here in this section on wounds to unity, because yeah. again, these are really important uh, paragraphs from the catechism for our work at the Coming Home Network International and for this discussion on, um, again, on the one hand, we propose with the church, we believe that the church is, is the church that Christ founded. Um, we believe she is who she says she is, but we also, you know, uh, accept from the church, this nuanced understanding, this recognition again of the source of the wounds and of the reality of the Holy Spirit's work in spite of our division. And yes. so I'm going to read these and then I'll, I'll give you the first comment on these. If sure. Like Kenny. So this is paragraph eight, 18 and 19. However, one cannot charge with the sin of the separation those who at present are born into these communities that resulted from such separation and in them are brought up in the faith of Christ and the Catholic Church accepts them with respect and affection as brothers. All who have been justified by faith in baptism are incorporated into Christ. They therefore have a right to be called Christians and with good reason are accepted as brothers in the Lord by the children of the Catholic Church. Furthermore, Many elements of sanctification and of truth are found outside the visible confines of the Catholic Church. The written word of God, the life of grace, faith, hope, and charity, with the other interior gifts of the Holy Spirit as well as visible elements. Christ's Spirit uses these churches and ecclesial communities as means of salvation, whose power derives from the fullness of grace and truth that Christ has entrusted to the Catholic Church. All these blessings come from Christ and lead to him, and are in themselves calls to Catholic unity. Man. What do you think? Anything <laughs> jumped out from there that you want to comment on? Well, you know, Lots a, of good a lot. Uh, just one funny thing right out of the gate is when, you know, back when I was a Pentecostal pastor, Kenny, I used to refer to Acts chapter 2 as the Pentecostal greasy page, you know, the most read page in, in your Bible. And I think about our work, you know, at the Coming Home Network, and this is kind of like the greasy page, you know, in the catechism. It's like this is the well-worn yeah. page that just falls open to this text because we find ourselves reading this regularly to people who wonder, partly because, you know, the intuition when you're outside in all these other communities is to ask who the real Christians are and, th and then to make decisions about who the real Christians are and to say yes, no, yes, no, yes, no about them. And that's the intuition. And the Catholic Church is kind of moving the opposite direction, say we're, we're, not trying to, we're not trying to exclude all of these brothers and sisters in Christ. 
what we're trying to do is look for the ways in which they are our brothers and sisters in Christ, first and foremost, by virtue of their baptism, you know, into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Man, there's a lot there that you can work with. And for me, that was an incredible comfort to me, you know, coming into the Catholic Church, that I was received as a brother in Christ because of that right out of the gate. Yeah, the, the spiritual tradition of the church and its its doctrinal clarifications that we have in in uh, the catechism and documents of the church, it's funny, if, I think if we read them honestly and sincerely, we recognize that they're always forming us in, a, in such a way that we look to others, giving them the benefit of the doubt, looking for what we have in common and wanting to build on on the good that we find right. towards towards unity, build them up. Right. At the same time, it always turns us back around and and sets a very high bar for ourselves, saying, "I don't I don't know necessarily what is in that person's heart, so I I share the truth with them and I don't judge them, but I know my heart. Right. I know that to paraphrase G.K. Chesterton, if I if the question is asked, what is wrong with the church, that the one of the right answers should be, I am. <laughs> Exactly. I am what's wrong with the church. Yeah, it's it, and that's so good. You know, I found myself wrestling with that on the front end because a lot of times when I would engage with churches before I was Catholic, it was like, well, that's a bad one and I'm good, so I'm going to go to the good church where I would go because I'm the good guy and I, I only go to good guy churches. And so this this mindset of why you would go to a church is that, of course, you're good and you're bringing all the good things with you. And I, And I remember when we started going into the Catholic Church, one of the the dear friends of ours who we were their pastors for years, she said, well, are you going into the Catholic Church to, you know, to fix things and this and that? And I said, look, there's a bigger mess now that I've showed up, you know? Like, I, 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 am I going to go fix things? Like, these people have more problems now because I showed up to the, to the mix. It's like, I have to be really careful about wh- who I think I am in this whole equation. I'm, you know, in a sense, I'm part of the problem unless I'm participating in the prayer of Jesus actively in my life, seeking the the unity and the wholeness of God's people. So I, I, I'm right there with you, you know, John Mark. Yeah. yeah, and I think that positions us to to follow Christ in in the way that He dealt with this, right? When when you know he he said like, I didn't I, did, I didn't come to condemn the world right he doesn't come to stand off aloof to the side and condemn the world right. that's not what his mission on earth was right. he came to enter into the wounds of his people and to to lay down his life first he didn't wait around for us to get our act together he came in and laid down his life and allowed himself to be crucified he poured himself out so that we would have the means of grace so that we would have the eucharist that, that we would have confession we'd have all the graces of the church and so an imitation of Christ, like it, it's it's right that the church directs us to say, you know what, I have to start with me. I need to be the saint that Christ is calling me to be. I need to accept uh, his healing and forgiveness first. I need to, to, to heal here. And only then can I begin to help build back up the wounds and, and call people home to the fullness. Yeah. Yeah. A- amen. It's uh, th- that orientation and, and how just in our, in our minds, how we are positioning ourselves to do this work is huge. That's why I, I really do like the way the catechism um, kind of gets real with us. You know, hey, look, this is because of sin in everybody's life. And and this other idea, too, that we, that we read, John Mark, that we can't charge with the sin of separation 
those who are born into these communities later. You know, it's like there aren't a lot of folks that are in the ecclesial communities or the churches that aren't Catholic. It's just all they've ever known. That's the Christianity that they were given, that was handed to them. They weren't trying to protest against Catholicism. Now, maybe they learned how to do it, you know, over time, but that wasn't the big idea. And so the, the whole mindset, um, that's, you know, kind of trickled down later isn't just primarily to be anti-Catholic. And for a lot of us, it was kind of like discovering relatives we never knew we had, you know, oh my goodness, I didn't realize we were family. All this time, you were you were my family, and I just didn't even know it. So again, these are great paragraphs here for this discussion, as well as our work. You know, we we do see our, our Protestant uh, brothers and sisters as brothers and sisters in Christ. We do believe that the Holy Spirit works uh, in in their communities. Again, in spite of our sin, in spite of my sin, yes. in spite of the divisions in the church that are caused by sin, the Holy Spirit continues to work. Now, again, God still, we would we believe that God has still given us a church. He's still yes. given us a normal means of salvation and sanctification. We still believe that in a certain sense, he wants us all gathered back into that family in perfect unity. Right. But we also recognize that that doesn't give us any grounds to, to, uh, to assume we know what's in someone else's heart. It charges us to double down on, I need to be, I need to be the change I want to see in the church. Right. right? I need to be in imita- imitation of Christ. Yeah, may- maybe a word picture. I know we want to move forward, John Mark, but a word picture that I often see in this discussion, especially from a Catholic perspective. I happened to have served in the Navy for a few years, uh, floated around on some naval vessels out on the on the ocean, and eventually had to come back in to port. And one of the things that we used when we came into port were these things called mooring lines. Uh, just a, you know, li- by comparison with the size of the ship and the, the pier or the dock or the port, these are little tiny things, you know, throw them over and people are grabbing them and tying them off both ways. And somehow through all these mooring lines, the, the port and the ship are pulled back together again. I really feel like the catechism gives us these mooring lines that we can work with in unity, it gives, it gives the whole list here. The written word of God, the life of grace, faith, hope, and charity with the other interior gifts of the Holy Spirit, as well as visible air elements. There's so many things that are mooring lines. I toss them to each other, and these become the points of dialogue that you have to build on, because there's a thousand things you can fight about. And I think from a Catholic perspective, um, the first impulse ought to be Toss me the mooring line and I'll toss you mine. And let's find out how we can pull these two things together. And then we'll talk about, you know, how to create even more traffic between us till we're in a place of full communion. Yeah. Amen. Well, let me read just a little bit more. These are paragraphs 820 and 821. And this is where the catechism turns to, again, with that context in mind of, of the wounds and the source of wounds, you know, and the reality of the of grace amidst our divisions, you know, the, some great context in those preceding paragraphs. Now we have a couple paragraphs under the sub subheading towards unity, and this is I'll read them, but this is what really what's going to drive us into that where the rest of this discussion will go in the coming weeks about virtue as the as the particular thing that we're going to focus on. So this is paragraph eight twenty. Christ bestowed unity on his church from the beginning. 
This unity, we believe, subsists in the Catholic Church as something she can never lose, and we hope that it will continue to increase until the end of time. Christ always gives his church the gift of unity, but the church must always pray and work to maintain, reinforce, and perfect the unity that Christ wills for her. This is why Jesus himself prayed at the hour of his passion and does not cease praying to his Father for the unity of his disciples that they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may know that you have sent me. The desire to recover the unity of all Christians is a gift of Christ and a call of the Holy Spirit. Certain things are required in order to respond adequately to this call. A permanent renewal of the church and greater fidelity to her vocation. Such renewal is the driving force of the movement towards unity. That's number one. Number two, conversion of heart as the faithful. Try to live holier lives according to the gospel, for it is the unfaithfulness of the members to Christ's gift which causes divisions. Number three, prayer in common, because change of heart and holiness of life, along with public and private prayer for the unity of Christians, should be regarded as the soul of the whole ecumenical movement and merits the name spiritual ecumenism. Number four, fraternal knowledge of each other. Number five, ecumenical formation of the faithful and especially of priests. Number six, dialogue among theologians and meetings among Christians of the different churches and the communities. And number seven, collaboration among Christians in various areas of service to mankind. Human service is the idiomatic phrase. Mm. I just read through a lot there. Yeah. I mean, that list of, of these elements that are required, a lot of them uh, are, are things that the church has to be doing. That we as a corporate body need to be doing. And we've seen a lot of those. I mean, that last one, you know, collaboration among Christians in various areas of service to mankind. I think of like the pro-life movement. There's been some great, you know, authentic ecumenism amongst Catholic and Protestants in terms of their work to to preserve and uh, promote the dignity of life from conception to natural death. There's been some great work there. You know, there's been a, a little dialogue amongst theologians. I don't know how, you know, how how well that's going necessarily, ecumenical formation, paternal knowledge. But a lot of these involve, you know, more the, the corporate things that we need to be doing. And so that that's good. But the one I want to zero back in on, again, given our discussion here, is that number two, conversion of heart of the faithful as they try to live holier lives according to the gospel. For it is the unfaithfulness of the members to Christ's gift which causes divisions. That's Once again, that's really the, the piece that we we're, we're going to zero in on on these discussions, mm-hmm. that it's whether or not I you know, in imitating Christ and allowing him to transform me that ultimately is going to de- uh, determine whether or not I'm able to contribute to that that uh, building up of the body of Christ. Right. Yes. This is really, um, you know, kind of at its core uh, about a virtuous life of faith and fidelity to Jesus. Uh, if I can, John Marcus, might be a good place to read from something that's been very meaningful to me. Um, painful in a sense because it, you know, it is, it, it, it's, how, how can I say this? Um, it's more along the lines of my carnal nature to just do what I want instead of what God wants. And so that's when I say it's painful to work toward this unity. It's just because it's going against my sinful nature, but it's good for me. It's, it's a good thing. And so I read this quote, uh, by, uh, St. Pope John Paul II. He wrote, uh, an encyclical letter in March of 1979, Redemptor Hominus, Jesus, the, the Redeemer of Mankind. And pretty early in the letter, he starts talking about ecumenism, 
why? Well, because this is really the mission of God is to heal the divided humanity from itself and from God and bring us all together into the church. So he says a few things in paragraph 18. He says, the Second Vatican Council responded concisely to this requirement, that is to to, uh, recapture the unity of the church, with its decree on ecumenism, Pope Paul VI availing himself of the activities of the Secretariat for Promoting Christian Unity, began the first difficult steps on the road to the attainment of that unity. See right away, the difficult steps. Like, this isn't easy, and, and sometimes it's not fun. But the whole way that he ends this section is with this really interesting um, question. He says, if we don't do this, we would be unfaithful to the word of Christ. We would fail to accomplish his testament. And then here's this question at the end. Have we the right to run this risk? My way of kind of capturing that is what right do I have? You know, as a follower of Jesus, who I can see praying for the healing of his church and the unity of his church, what right do I have? not to participate in that actively, you know, like you're saying, at the level of virtue in my own life. What right do I have? Have I the right not to be fully engaged in this work? Yeah, again, sometimes people are really leery, at least in the Catholic Church, about talk of ecumenism just because there's been been bad instances, there's been inauthentic instances of it. But true ecumenism is based on a common devotion to Jesus Christ and on, I think, again, what you're getting at there, Kenny, this, this sense of obligation that we haven't the right to act as if this doesn't matter. You know, it's like, it's like again, like saying, like a husband recognizing, I don't have the right to just sort of like, you know, muddle through life and and remain divided with my wife. I haven't been talking to my wife for a few weeks and I know that we're angry at each other. I don't have the right to sit back and say, well, she's not going to get mm-hmm. along. I'm not going to get along. <laughs> right. I haven't the right. My... I am obligated as a, as a man of God, as a, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, to recognize that disunity and to build on whatever commonality we have to work towards reconciliation. That has to remain in our minds and our hearts. That should be a permanent healthy wound that we carry, mm-hmm. you know, that we're not, we're not reunited. When my uh, bishop here in the Diocese of Toledo uh, was uh, appointed in one of his early addresses, and, and many times since then, he pointed out something which was very meaningful to me and, and to me in the context of the Coming Home Network. He he pointed out that he recognizes that he's the bishop, not just of the Catholics in the Diocese of Toledo, but of everybody. Right. Uh, he's the bishop of, of the Protestants, whether they know it or not. Like, exactly right. Again, he he recognizes that that as that as a shepherd that these are all people that he's responsible to be sharing Christ with. And we've had some great interactions in this diocese of, of when we have people who have been interested in coming home to the Catholic Church, working with the diocese to help them and to encourage them. But again, it all comes back to this fact that I, I haven't the right to act as if this is unimportant, to not be concerned about rebuilding unity and again, about starting with myself. Yeah, amen. And, and I think just even getting down to the, the sort of the root system of what it means to be Catholic, like this word Catholic, <laughs> the, yeah. the Catholicity, yeah. this universality of the church. And so what are our impulses, you know, as Catholic people? They are toward reconciliation, toward healing, toward wholeness. This is embedded in the word 
Catholic, this concept of holistic unity. And, you know, I think it's so different um, how we talk about ourselves, uh, how I talk about myself as a Christian in this area as compared with how I talked about myself before as a Protestant, like using that word, um, which is embedded really kind of with some body language, right? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm holding up, you know, my, my hands, I'm protesting you, I'm pushing you away, whereas Catholicity is, is in my heart is and my understanding is this more of a cruciform, arms wide open. I'm I'm gonna you know open my heart to you, and 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 be open to you and embrace you, and uh, and and welcome you. And man, that's that's a scary that's a scary way to be. Uh, it's just maybe one more thought that right there, John Mark is you know some um, months ago I was listening to. Uh, someone who was really one of my heroes bef- before I was Catholic, and I still love him and looked up, look up to him in many ways. But he gave this, you know, these little short videos that go out now that that are twenty to thirty seconds long, and it's four reasons why all these Protestant pastors are becoming Catholic. And his final answer, his third or fourth answer, was, "Oh, they're just infatuated with unity." You know, it's like, like in in that mindset, that was a bad thing. To be to be captivated by the notion of unity, this is one of the you know the diseases almost like the bad things that these Protestant formerly Protestant pastors coming home to the Catholic Church something bad's gotten into them. What is it? Well, number four, this preoccupation with unity. It's like wait a minute, <laughs> um, <laughs> isn't this what Jesus prayed for? Isn't this what the whole you know? initial comment of Paul as to why there were problems in the church at Corinth. So it's just a, a completely different orientation. Yeah. And certainly the the distinction can be made between, again, uh, authentic and inauthentic ecumenism right. and authentic and inauthentic unity, right? We don't want a compromised unity. We don't want a, a unity that sort of just waters down both sides. Yes. And so you're just kind of, kind of a muddy middle ground. No, we all want to be, this is why it comes back to personal virtue, that it comes back to everyone surrendering to Jesus and to the Father's will and allowing him to work us back into the unity and the church and the doctrine and the holiness that he intends, not not one of our making, our envisioning, but what he calls us to. And so that's that's really, once again, why this comes down to th- this discussion. There's many, again, there's many aspects we could be talking about, but for this discussion, we're going to be talking about virtue. Mm-hmm. We're going to be talking about, again, what it what it means to be transformed into Christ, and some of the particular aspects of virtue that we can focus on, the, the habits. I mean, one other comment that I just wanted to make is that, again, we think of this in the context of the Coming Home Network. In the Coming Home Network, we're evangelizing, we're sharing what we believe about the Catholic faith, we're answering questions. We also we also do fundraising to support our work. But, but one thing I wanted to point out, I was having a discussion the other day about this with a guest on the Journey Home program, and we were talking about, like, we we do these things and we we have to keep from getting kind of sucked into a preoccupation with the end goal which really is god's business right we work towards unity but we allow that unity to be god's business our business has to be being faithful in the action so when we're evangelizing it has to be it has to be a holy thing amen right it has to be growing us in virtue and the people we're speaking to in virtue when we're fundraising you know it has to be something that's growing us in virtue and helping the people we're talking to grow in virtue when we're answering questions or when we're encouraging people 
Um, if we get too sucked into the end goal, we start to sacrifice the fidelity or the charity or the virtue in the meantime by grasping at the end goal. And, and our focus always has to be, no, no, in what I'm doing today, my daily bread, the daily task in front of me, am I being faithful? Am I being virtuous? Am I am I loving? Am I having a heart like Christ? And then I'm not worrying about when the end goal will come about because I'm leaving the fruit to God. I'm focusing on fidelity. I'm leaving the fruit to Christ. Yeah, amen. I think about another thing we do, you know, John Mark in our in our work, and that has to do with our online community, uh, where there are thousands of people in this community with an opportunity to dialogue with each other and how important to us, you know, for those who may be watching behind the scenes, how important it is when, when we talk together that we maintain a, a particular way, a particular sort of standard inside of that community about how we talk to each other, how we share ideas, even even if they're difficult and, and painful things, that there's a this um, this backdrop of these mooring lines, I guess, of trying to build a, a real biblical Christ-centered virtuous unity has to be behind um, all the good and the, the painful conversations. We're trying to uh, carry that out in our community. It's not always <laughs> easy to do it, but it's such wonderful and fruitful work. You know, um, every, every week we meet with people in a group, uh, you know, online from very different backgrounds at various stages. And I'm always struck, you know, by the, the fraternal <laughs> brotherly love that I see going on there, uh, between all of these people. And it's, it's refreshing and it's important. Yeah. We're going to go on again in the coming weeks to talk about the human virtues, the cardinal virtues and some of their sub virtues you know, uh, as they, as they apply to this question, you know, but I, I think we, it'd be a good place to end today is just to, to reflect for a moment on the theological virtues, you know, the human virtues regard like our contribution, mm -hmm. which in the big scheme of things is small, right? Right. It's always our contribution in response to God's grace. You know, our yes and our action, our free will is happening in this sea of God's grace. And it's only because of God's grace that we have these powers of our soul but that we're able to respond to God. So we we have to we have to pray and we have to think and we have to choose and decide and build habits. There's our human contribution. But it's always keeping in mind the bigger picture which is the theological virtues. In other words, God's gift of grace, God's gift of relationship. And faith, hope and charity, those theological virtues are so important to keep in mind, again, in that, that scenario you're talking about. Like as we work towards unity, as we dialogue, as we try to work out our differences and try to move towards, towards truth, um, it, the foundation absolutely has to be faith, hope, and charity. In other words, our relationship with God is the foundation. Whenever we feel ourselves beginning to slip, slip into anger, slip into frustration, slip into impatience that I'm, why isn't this person being convinced? Why aren't they seeing what I'm seeing? One thing that's happening is, a, is a, practical, a practical atheism is occurring in our hearts where we begin to think that this is up to me, that maybe God's not in this. Maybe, maybe it's, it's up to me to make this happen when in reality, in faith, we trust, no, no, I am simply merely to be faithful to this conversation, to charity, to love, to sharing what I believe but never rushing ahead of the Holy Spirit here, never never growing impatient, never never wondering why God isn't bringing about the fruit in my time, my time frame. 
we always have to remain, and if we leave, to return to this place of faith, hope, and charity, and only work from within that. That has to be our mooring. Our ultimate mooring line has to be us to God, and then it's only from there we can begin to build connections with other people. Yeah, two two helpful tools for me. If I can, you know, add anything to this discussion for anyone who might be listening, and I I share these as somebody who's on this constant journey. You know, having converted from three decades, three plus decades of Protestantism, and learning how to think like a Catholic, and learning how to think along these lines that you're that you're laying out for us here. John Mark, this is hard work. So we need tools, right? Like a fellow sinner, fellow sojourner along the lines. And one I actually learned from um, from Walter Brueggemann. Uh, he has, has a great book, uh, uh, The Prophetic Imagination. This is a tool that's helped me with a lot of things in my Christian life. So prophetic imagination con- connects very well to faith, hope, and charity. Because in, in that sense, you're allowing yourself to imagine with with you know God's grace, what would the world look like if God has fixed everything the way it's supposed to be? That must inform my own mindset toward how I engage with the world. Because I'm going to go out there, I'm not going to see it looking like it's supposed to look. It doesn't look like it's supposed to look. Okay, let God's way of of seeing the world fill my mind. Now work toward that. In other words, let your mind, your imagination be informed. Faith, hope, and charity. That's <laughs> like a world in which I am trusting God. I'm hoping in the promises of God. And in charity, I'm engaging with God and others. What in the world will happen around me? Like, what will the ecosystem start to look like around my life if that's how I'm engaging the world? And the second is, is in the creed, we, we say it every time we gather, especially uh, on, on Sunday in our, right, we, in the creed, we say, I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Um, man, really? Okay, so what am I doing about that? And how am I wor- at work in the world with God um, as his as a co-laborer in Christ, as a participant in this mission of God? If I really believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, man, there's mission language in there. There's there's like uh um those are marching orders. (laughs) They're not, it's not just a creedal statement without action, right? Like this is what I'm supposed to be working on then. And there I need faith, hope, and charity to hold on to what I believe about what the church is supposed to be. So just some practical, hopefully practical tools. Amen, brother. No, I, I really appreciate those. And so that's, that's where we'll leave it today. But that's again, with that prophetic imagination, uh, rooted in faith, hope, and charity, we envision, we dream of, you know, this unit yes. that Christ is calling us to. And what we'll do is next week we'll turn from the catechism uh, to a practical discussion. Of, again, we talked about God's side of this, you know, Christ's prayer, uh, God's gifts of faith, hope, and charity, God's gift of the church, and the sacraments of the grace. Okay, Then we're going to talk about now our response. And, and we're going to focus in on the cardinal virtues, you know, um, use those as a framework for talking about how do we begin to build up the habits of soul to be like Christ, not just in, in, our, in our imagination, but even in our actions and our habits. And so we'll, we'll dig into those and, again, explore more this idea of how can I be practically becoming the kind of person who is, uh, has a heart like Christ's heart and is and working and building up the body of 
his body. Amen. So good, John Mark. Thanks again, Kenny. Yeah. Uh, that's where we'll be turning next week. Again, thank you for joining us for this episode of Deep in Christ. Hope you'll be back next week to continue the discussion. Uh, in the meantime, uh, remember the Coming Home Network International is a network of converts to the Catholic Church and others who are thinking about becoming Catholic. And we've got a newsletter there, a free newsletter you can sign up for, as well as assistance for you. Uh, if you're on the journey, we'd love to be praying for you and with you, helping to answer the questions that we can. Uh, most of all, just walking as brothers and sisters in Christ while we try to... to, uh, to to go to go where Christ is calling us to be, especially if you are a pastor, uh, someone who uh, is coming, thinking about becoming Catholic from a ministry background. We know that that's got a bigger hurdles involved in that process. Process, and just know that we've got people here like Kenny and and our colleague Ken and Jim Anderson and others here at the network that would love to again talk you through that process and be uh, any help that we can be during that. So check out chnetwork.org for resources, newsletter, and fellowship for the journey. Once again, this has been Deep in Christ. Uh, We'll talk to you again next week. God bless. Mm -hmm.